Hello and welcome to Checked Out. We're broadcasting from Euclid Public Library in beautiful Euclid, Ohio. I'm Casey Armstrong, Director of the Library. And I'm Mike Stein, Assistant Manager of Adult Services. We talk about our favorite books, movies, services, and events with our favorite people and our favorite community. Each podcast will feature a theme. Today, we're discussing ways Clevelanders are supporting Ukraine. Our special guests are from Global Cleveland, President Joe Simperman, and Program Director Zachary Nelson. Gentlemen, welcome to Checked Out. Thank you so much. Great to be with you all today. Thank you. So first of all, let's just get right into the basics of it. For those who are not familiar with Global Cleveland, tell us a little bit about your organization. It's great to be with you and and all the wonderful folks that use the great Euclid Library. We are an organization that was established 15 years ago here in Northeast Ohio. We serve the entire region, all of Cuyahoga County. Uh, We dip into uh, Summit a little bit, Lorraine. So we work all over, including the wonderful community of Euclid. And our goal was to attract, retain, and welcome international newcomers to our region for everyone's prosperity. So basically uh, an effort to try to make more immigrants, more refugees, more people born outside of the United States feel at home here. The reason why that was so important was a hundred years ago here in Northeast Ohio, half of the population, 49% of the population of the city of Cleveland spoke a language other than English first. So you you couple that with the fact that so many African-Americans were, were coming up from the South. You've got all these international people here. The truth was that international people are diverse communities or communities of color were actually the majority of the population of the city of Cleveland. And that was when our city was the sixth largest in the country. You look at that today, the numbers in the city of Cleveland are that we are at about three, 4% immigrant. In the county, we're a little bit higher, nine or 10%. And we know that our population is shrinking. We know that we continue to be a wonderful place to live, uh, work, and uh, be educated. And so our job is to figure out how do we attract even more international newcomers to build up our, our, our neighborhoods again in our communities and to be the welcoming place that we all know that the the community of Northeast Ohio and cities like Euclid really are. So Global Cleveland does a lot for many different communities, as you noted, um, but we're specifically focusing on Ukrainians today. And a year ago, Cleveland.com article noted that more than 4,000 Ukrainians were living in Parma, which made it the largest such community in Ohio. Um, How did that come to be? As you just noted, you know, we're, we're an area where people want to live, work, be educated, and most importantly, have fun, (laughs) spend time with family and friends. So how did that community in Parma uh, get started? And is that still the case? Do we still have that 4,000 or so folks around in Parma or have they moved on? Well, I'm going to start, and then I want Zachary, who who's lived in Ukraine and who's fluent in Ukrainian and, and Russian and has been serving so many of our communities um, since he's been with us. You know, Cleveland was a place that started resettling people from Ukraine back in the 1800s. We were a place that people who were fleeing persecution, religious, political, uh, or other, uh, were coming here. And so the Ukrainian community started to make their way. And these were Ukrainians of all different faiths. These were Ukrainians who were Christian, who were Orthodox, who were Catholic, who were Jewish, uh, people who didn't have a faith. Even some of the Ukrainians that came here from Crimea, where there's a a good Muslim population, were coming to Cleveland. 
And so once that gets established, the word gets out that there's a place for you if you're from this place. And so Parma, Middleburg Heights, uh, those communities, Parma Heights really became a, a welcoming place. And I can tell you that with the 4,000 people, which I think the number is actually higher at this point, um, Zachary, if you would share a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing with our Ukrainian sisters and brothers. Yes, thank you, Joe. Um, I will say that just in the last year since that article was written, about 4,000 new Ukrainians have shown up in Northeastern Ohio, mainly near Parma, North Royalton, Middleburg Heights, Old Brooklyn. Um, and I would say that the first wave, as Joe was saying, the first wave of Ukrainian immigrants to Cleveland were very focused on building foundations. So opening a museum, opening a bank, starting a credit union, uh, building their churches so that when new Ukrainians come over due to persecution in their home country, due to war in their home country, they have a place to go to. And that's still continued. It's it's now the fifth uh, generation, fifth wave of Ukrainians coming here. And it is just an established community due to the fact that that first and second wave of Ukrainians in Cleveland really set the foundation. Uh, some things that we are doing to help the Ukrainians um, here in Cleveland, um, and not alone, we we utilize our Ukrainian community connections. We are hosting our second legal clinic for newly arrived Ukrainians. We hosted one in June that helped um, around 300 Ukrainians get legal advice and consultations. Um, this year, we are hosting a second one on March 30th. Um, we are hosting it at the Pakrova Church in Parma. And we are going to have uh, local resources, charities, so that people who have just arrived can find uh, medical supplies, can find food, can find clothing. There will also be attorneys there to answer legal questions about legal status, various visas. We will also be um, hosting employers so that um, Ukrainians who are recently arrived can find a job. Um, so we're really pulling the community together and we're really trying to offer a softer landing pad to those Ukrainians who have arrived re recently. Um, I will say that um, the, the number 4,000 that were here before, that may be Ukraine-born Ukrainians, but in Ohio, we have one of the highest populations of uh, Ukrainian Americans and the Ukrainian diaspora. Um, and I think that number is uh, in the tens of thousands, if not uh, about 50,000. Well, Zachary, you're kind of leading into the next question. Uh, so at the time of our recording, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is approaching the one-year mark. How has that affected the Ukrainian community in the Cleveland area? I would say that it has invigorated the Ukrainian community, especially the Ukrainian-American community. Now, Ukraine and Ukrainians have faced oppression at the hands of the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union, be it forced starvation, be it cultural genocide, be it uh, language genocide uh, or physical genocide for hundreds of years, um, especially in the last 100 years. So the Ukrainian community here in the United States, they arrived for a reason. Many of them escaped persecution and war um, and so they know what is happening now. They understand because their parents escaped the same situation. So I would say that it's simply reactivated 
reinvigorated. And I, I don't even like the prefix re because they were already, the Ukrainian community is already invigorated. They have preserved their history and culture and language here in Cleveland. There are third generation Ukrainians who speak more fluent Ukrainian than uh, many Ukrainians do. They have a very wide network of cultural preservation, um, religious preservation here in Cleveland, including the Ukrainian Museum Archives. I think that who has been more invigorated is the average American community in terms of this war has shown for the first time since World War II a massive, a massive migration crisis in Europe. And it's kind of reminded us of what happened 80 years ago. And so I think that is the real base the, that has been energized is the average American person. And through this tragedy and through the uh, programs that were opened by the United States government, like Uniting for Ukraine, which is the program that allows American citizens to sponsor a Ukrainian to come to the United States, we now have new programs being birthed from that, like the Welcome Corps, which is going to allow average American citizens to privately sponsor people through the refugee program um, and through other avenues that will be upcoming soon. But you know, the average American and the, the U.S. government has been very energized through this crisis. And I think that the Ukrainian community has led the way because they've handled it before. Joe, do you have anything to add to that? You know, I think, um, Michael and Casey, the, the muscle memory of our community is is deep. You know, Northeast Ohio has been a place that people have fled to. They were fleeing persecution, prosecution, oppression, slavery, and there's something in our DNA that responds to this. You know, Zachary's perspective is so important because he's lived in Ukraine and he's lived here. Over 300 people reached out to our organization alone to offer bedding, food, a place to stay. And so it's really um, a testament to our community. It's also a testament to the fact that people remember how important it is for us to be there for each other. And so I think all of this comes to the fore when people say, well, why are there so many Ukrainians here? One, they know that they're welcome. They've been welcome for over a century. Two, you know, I know we're talking about Ukraine today, but a year before Ukraine, a few months, we were talking about Afghanistan. Before that, we we're talking about Congo. We're talking about Kosovo. We're talking about people from Ethiopia. And so I think there's something in our uh, collective psyche that says, you know, we want to be here for people. And I also think there's a, a certain, I, I like to call it a, a heartland sensibility. Um, you know, people feel this battle right now very personally. Uh, people see what's going on. Uh, people see the genocide. People see children being taken from their families. And, you know, we're one human family. And I think a lot of people feel, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go there to fight. I, I don't know how to operate machinery. But if there's something we can do here in Cleveland, here in Euclid, here in Cuyahoga County, well, we're going to do it. Zachary, can you back up a little bit? Because you mentioned there's an opportunity coming up for individual Americans to sponsor Ukrainians, which is uh, leading into my question about support. I know that you may not have all the details worked out yet. Could you just give us a little bit more information about what that means or what that might look like? 
So in terms of Ukrainian specifically, there is the program Uniting for Ukraine, you uh, for you in short, and that allows an American citizen um, or green card holder to offer sponsorship. So basically sign up and say, I can financially support a person from Ukraine for two years to come here and seek refuge. Um, that program base has already seen, I would say, over 200,000 Ukrainians enter the United States through that private sponsorship. That means at least 200,000 Americans have privately sponsored a Ukrainian person. Now, this format of you for you is being expanded into a new program that recently opened by the US federal government called the Welcome Corps. Now, it is a it shifts or adds the capacity of resettling refugees from around the world to private citizens in the United States. So, for example, I say I would like to be part of this increased capacity. I sign up I get trained, I go through the steps of Welcome Corps, and we, we will have more details and um, perhaps a recorded webinar soon. This is a new program, so we are still learning yeah. all of the details. That's the kind of meaningful support that people are looking for. It's not yeah. that, and I know Mike is gonna be asking a question about specifics in a moment, but I think a lot of Americans really wanna help and they wanna help in a meaningful way. So. That sounds like something that folks need to go back and visit the Global Cleveland website and just stay tuned for more details. Absolutely. And looking up how to become a you for you sponsor or a Welcome Corps member. Yeah, I would imagine that you'll eventually have that information on your website, globalcleveland.com. You do have a section on there dedicated to resources for helping Ukrainians, donations, volunteering, things like that. What do you need the most help with at this time? I think right now, Mike, if I look at the, you know, the list of needs, housing continues to be a really big issue. You know, people are generous. They're staying with their family members, extended family, people they've met at their church or their synagogue. Uh, but we need that. The other thing is, you know, for people to recognize that the people who are here all have somebody back home. The, the mental load is high. And it's important for us to recognize that, you know, as human beings, we're all going through a hard time. These folks are living every day, hoping that their loved one survives because there's just a lot of violence and a lot of conflict that's occurring. I think the other thing is just, you know, really maintaining um, a sense of who we are as Northeastern Ohioans, welcoming people. Um, Zachary has been asked to go to a school district again. Uh, to meet with families, to give them a sense of belonging and a sense of welcome. And Zachary, if you would just share with that, maybe how do we, um, as Clevelanders, just continue to open our arms and embrace uh, these individuals? I think, uh, yes. And in terms of the school districts, I am assisting schools in kind of building a, a platform, a, a, an approach to be more welcoming. And what, what does that mean in a school? It means translating your attendance policy into the languages in which your students speak at home. 
because their parents need to know who to call when their child is sick. Even if they can't really speak well, at least they have the number. At least they can reach out. It means offering an interpreted tour of the school so that the parents know where the kids have lunch. They know where the football uh, field is. They know where the gym is. It means inviting resources to the school, inviting the mayor. We did this in a local school district not too long ago, and I'm, and I'm planning on doing it again because 56 families have shown up. Um, and that's a lot of influx. They've had to increase capacity in their classes, in, they've had to increase ESL capacities. And so when you have 56 families with 150 parents, let's say, and siblings, maybe grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles, and they can take their kids, you know, school manual and say, oh, are you on the purple team or the blue team? Is this your A day or B day? Some of these concepts are so foreign um, because the American school system is very different from most European and most global school systems. We are unique in that way. And just bridging that gap, explaining our uniqueness, it is night and day, according to the school systems that have called me post, po after the fact that we've translated and we've ha we've handled this welcome night, as we called it. They said it was night and day. The kids opened up. The parents felt like they could call the school's reached out to, to language services so that they could have one-on-one -on -one connections. Uh, they found translators or at least children in their school who speak both languages for parent-teacher night. It's just the school needs to offer the hand first. And I think that is probably key to a welcoming atmosphere in a city when a school is a central congressional area. And when you have the mayor and resources and the teachers and principal greet your entirely brand new, larger class of international students, they're more likely to stay. They're more likely to put down roots and they're more likely to uh, you know, add to the economy of Northeast Ohio. And so I think little by little, and the fact that Northeastern Ohio schools reached out to us to do so goes to what Joe was saying. It goes to show that the character of Northeast Ohio is rooted in welcoming international newcomers. Well, Zachary, I think, you know, I was supposed to ask you about volunteer opportunities, but I, you just have inspired me because I'm like, well, if schools are local schools are doing those things, I'm thinking libraries might need to get involved in that. We can do interpreted tours. We can have things translated. We can offer uh, dual language story times and make sure that, you know, if some programs might be appropriate that we have a uh, someone to help with interpretation. So we need to talk more. I think this might be a great opportunity for libraries to really take a new step <laughs> and Absolutely. get involved with our uh, new families. I know many of us offer citizenship classes and things like that, but I think maybe it's time to take a, take a new leap. <laughs> Bilingual story time and increasing your international language section to modern books, let's say you have a lot of Ukrainians or you have a lot of people from Afghanistan or from any country, Thailand, let's say. Um, we don't know where the next crisis will be, but Northeastern Ohio has a tendency to attract people. And so recognizing those trends and ordering um, the Harry Potter collection in Ukrainian and then hosting a child, a bilingual, you know, children's story time is a wonderful 
way to introduce the international community to the library system. Absolutely. So when we when we finish our podcast, we'll definitely make sure we follow up and start talking about what are the things we can do together with Global Cleveland. Absolutely. So kind of getting ready to finish up here. Why is it important to welcome Ukrainian refugees and people from other countries to Cleveland? Well, first I'll say, you know, um, it's a demographic conversation, right? Our um, community, our economy, our way of life depends on having people live here. And we all know that a full neighborhood, a full library, a full school are happy places or places where, you know, we get to experience each other in our own uniqueness and diversity and, and who we were created to be. Um, but, you know, it's also being true to our, our past. Um, we're a place that's welcomed people who've been fleeing a lot of really tough times, uh, a lot of strife in the world. And I, I think when we are true to our origin story, uh, when we're true to to who we are, I, I think it's something that that shows people why this is such a great community in which to live. I think thirdly, you know, and this is something we hear over and over again, we have more jobs now than we have people to fill them. Nursing shortages, shortages in food delivery, grocery stores, restaurants, uh, schools, right? Everyone's looking for people to work. And part of it has to do with how we're all recovering from the pandemic. I think part of it has to do with so much of our population has aged and people are retiring and we need to fill so many of our places. And it is these international newcomers who I think are going to show people that there's still a worthy pursuit of the American dream and people who really want to participate in our society and in our country. I think you're exactly right. I think uh, specifically for Northeastern Ohio, we are a welcoming region. We are the we are Midwesterners. We are the crossroads of America. We are welcoming. We're nice people. It is a stereotype, but it is true. We are also affordable. We also have too many jobs that can't can't even be filled. You don't have to live in a shoebox in New York City with your three children. You can live in a two-bedroom apartment for half the price here um, with beautiful parks. We have a lake. I mean, we have a beautiful library. We have a beautiful history. There is so much to offer here, I think, that is interesting for international newcomers. And I think we need them. And it's not just me who thinks this. This country and this city specifically was built on immigration built by immigrants or by the children of immigrants. And so we won't survive if we don't have that influx again. We we just won't. And we need it desperately. I think there's a lot to offer and there's a lot to gain. That's why I think that we should be as welcoming and proactive as possible. Well, I just so enjoy hearing uh, both of your passion for what you do and uh, Zachary, I, I know Joe mentioned earlier that you obviously speak three languages. I, I know I heard you said you speak Ukrainian and Russian, and obviously you're speaking English. <laughs> so <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Thank you. Um, but what keeps you going? Like what? I know it can't always be easy. So, you know, can you guys share any particular story that, oh. you know, has inspired you or helps you to remember, you know, this is important what I'm doing? I lived in Ukraine for many years. Um, I learned the language and the culture. The story for me is personal. My next door neighbors here were my next door neighbors in Kiev. I invited them here. And to know 
that they are safe is what keeps me going. And it extends my empathy, and I don't want to get emotional, but my empathy extends to everyone escaping. Now I get it, which I I cannot believe. I didn't get it to such a depth before, and I think America is going through this awakening process as well. We see it. I get it now. And I'm like, everyone who is seeking refuge should be able to seek refuge here as they always have done. Maybe we've gone through some pushback to this idea, but that's what keeps me going is the personal connection to me, uh, to my life, uh, and now to my career. I see how we can benefit from it and how they can benefit from it. And I just think that they are our lifeline just as we are theirs. And yes, that's what keeps me going. I I think, um, Casey, you know, you got to have a heart for this work. You have a heart for the work of a librarian, right? You know, as we try to help people gain knowledge, right, which is 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 gaining their own power and their own agency. One of the founders of our organizations, Mr. Albert Ratner, um, his mom and dad came over here from Poland and they came because they were fleeing oppression and they built a business and, you know, ended up employing many, many people and, and you know, have given back so much to the community. But his mom used to say to him before they went to bed a prayer and it went like this. They drew a line to keep us out. Heretic rebel, we were ones to flout. But love and I, we had the wit to win. We drew a circle and brought them in. And that's what I think we think about here every single day. It's a blessing to work in this space. It's a blessing to be able to know that there are places like the Euclid Library that offer their goodness to the community every single day. And um, we live in hope. We have more good days than not. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for giving us time this afternoon. I know you guys have a busy schedule today, so uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to tell us about Global Cleveland before we adjourn here. But Joe Simperman and Zachary Nelson from Global Cleveland, thank you very much for joining us on Checked Out. Thank you. Thank you. And now, the news you cannot use. And now it's time for the news you cannot use. Just a reminder, don't try to use this news in any context. It will end up as a disaster. A lost stuffy was reunited with its owner thanks to the work of the staff at Avon Lake Public Library. And then the library became the Stuffy's new home. According to the Illyria Chronicle, the little lost kitten stuffed animal was found at the library the day after Thanksgiving by children's librarian, Miss Carol. Shay Altmont, the library's communications manager, began posting pictures of the Stuffy looking around the library. The posts attracted thousands of followers as staff named the lost kitten Aurora. She was dressed as painter Bob Ross and Elvis Presley to promote different programs in the posts. And sure enough, six-year-old Anderson Stahl learned that his lost kitty was found. Anderson and the stuffed cat have been inseparable for more than three years. But little Anderson received a new cat for Christmas, so when he was reunited with Aurora, he decided to donate the stuffed animal to the library. He said it would be good for the cat to live at the library and gave her a little backpack filled with her favorite miniature foods and a tiny phone so she could call her stuffed animal friends. Freezing cold weather led to a wedding taking place at the Medina County District Library recently. 
According to Cleveland.com, Ashley and Catherine Hedgick plan to exchange files at a gazebo in Medina Square across the street from the main library, but low temperatures changed their plans. So shortly after the library opened at 10 a.m., they called the library and asked if they could hold their ceremony inside. Since both are Stephen King fans, the fiction section seemed the perfect place to unite the couple in marriage. Tina Sable, the library's community engagement manager said, plenty of people have asked to have photographs staged in the library, but no one had ever held a wedding ceremony there before. The happy couple said the library was very accommodating and super sweet, and they were amazed by the support from random people they had never met before. And that's the library news you cannot use. Thanks for listening to Checked Out. You can learn more about Euclid Public Library by stopping in or going to our website, euclidlibrary.org. Mm-hmm.